they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshipped God. They sang, Amen, blessing, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Tegan. So, Tegan, just before you close that, um, where does it say that people come from in verse 9? From every nation and tribe and people and language. Yeah. So in order for us to worship God at the end of time, we all need to be there, everybody. So that's what I'm going to share about today. So I have some pictures. I shamelessly stole them. Most of these have been taken by Joel Cran, I think. I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of these are off of the AIM website. Uh, but my name is Christy Fraser, and I am, Lord willing, leaving in January of 2020 to go for a three-year commitment to serve with the Lopit uh, people of South Sudan. So let's get started. So South Sudan became a country July 9th, 2011. This ended the longest-running civil war in Africa. Uh, there's two main languages. Uh, the official main languages are English and Arabic, but also quite commonly spoken are Dinka, because uh, they're the biggest ethnic group, as well as uh, Juba Arabic, or sometimes it's also referred to as South Sudanese Arabic, so that most of the tribes would speak South Sudanese Arabic for trading with each other. Uh, it has more than 60 different ethnic tribes and groups. There's a lot of unreached people groups in South Sudan. And um, there's, it's South Sudan it broke off from the Sudan, and it's, so it's the bottom 10 South states of what was formerly the nation of Sudan. So, and if you look on the little map here, you can see the neighboring countries that are surrounding South Sudan. So it's completely landlocked, but it does have some mountains and hills, but it is very hot unless you're lucky enough to be up in the highlands. So when I leave the country, most of the time, the countries I will be going to, I'm either going to Kampala, Uganda, or I'm going to Nairobi, Kenya, uh, because those both have AIM guest houses and there's resources and stuff there. And that will be where I go to see the doctor and do life stuff. The population of Sudan is between 7 and 10 million, 7.5 and 10 million. Many of those are kids. Uh, it's true for almost every African country that it's pretty close to half or greater of the population is under 18. So why should we care about the low peat? So the low peat are referred to by the Joshua Project as an engaged people group, which means they're still unreached. There are missionaries, there are people who are actively working amongst them, but there is not more than 2% of the population um, that's evangelical Christian or that's reaching out to their own people. So they need help. 
So that's why me, uh, myself as a Mzungu, I'm hoping to go. These people have no Bible. There's no Jesus film in their language. There's no gospel recordings. And there's no radio broadcasts in their language. So how are they going to hear? And they're a very small group because there's, I've seen some different figures. Most people seem to think there's about 85,000 of them. Um, the one website I looked at said there's like 160, but that's like double what I saw with everybody else. Um, so they are, have been a forgotten, neglected people group, um, because they're far away, they're difficult to get to, um, and there's not very many of them and they're not important, (laughs) um, if we can say that, but in God's eyes, they are important and they are worthy. And he longs for those sons and daughters of his to be called and to be brought back to him. But how can they believe in him if they never hear about him? So um, this is a picture from one of the villages. And I'm just going to share here a video of this is my team, um, the couple that's our team leader. This is Carol, the wife, and they're from Kenya. So I'm really excited about the opportunity to actually get to serve under African missionaries. And they've been working with the Lopete now for almost five years with this people group. The great commandment that God gave us, Jesus, before he left the disciples, that was the last words Jesus speaking to his disciples. And I remember, in, I know in my culture as Africans, when, when a parent is getting, is aging, and he calls all the children, come, come, come. Everyone will come because they want to hear the last words. Even when someone passed on, everyone will ask, what, did he say anything the last minute? Because they want to respect it and to obey it. So it's, it calls for obedience for all of us as Christians. The way I am, I have joy, I have peace, I have salvation and eternal life. It's because of a missionary. Long time ago, before I was born, came to Kenya, gave the good news, and people received the good news. And how, that, that's how life in Kenya has changed, because I know from history how people were animistic, and if it was not for that missionary to come, I would not even be able to talk to you now, because it's only through the love of God that these people came, left their home, came to Africa to bring the good news. And it transformed the life, and it brought light, and we were able to see, wow, we were in darkness. And I think taking good news to other people who are still in darkness, being the bondage of darkness, it is a duty for everyone who has received Christ to go out and share the light, the same light that we got, like myself, to go and share the good news so that that person outside there who is still in darkness to come to know Christ. And that is my heart and my joy to go out there and share about Jesus Christ, the good news. So if you look at these pictures, this is one of the villages I'll be living in probably. We tend to think like, Going out as a missionary is only being a pastor, but that is not true. We've seen people coming from different, different backgrounds and having different gifts. 
to hear different parts. Being a doctor, you can serve God effectively. Being a, an, a, a photographer, you can serve God effectively. Because when we went to the field, we had a Brazilian who was taking a photo and he will tell somebody, look how God has fearfully and wonderfully made you. And he's preaching. And we, it, we need to come back to Kenya and say, hey, people are sleeping. Let's go out there and present the gospel. Despite of any gift or talent God has given us, let's go together. So in the words of Carol, let's go together. <laughs> let's do it. Okay, so I just want to give you some information about the Lopit. They inhabit the hills uh, near Torit, a district in South Sudan, and they are traditionally pastors, or sorry, they're traditionally pastoralists and farmers, uh, and they have been marginalized um, by the, the dominant people around them. They also harvest uh, forest products such as shea nuts, which a lot of you might use shea butter in your moisturizers. Uh, and they also fight the bees and get the honey. Uh, they speak the Lopit language. This is a bit concerning to me that there's five dialects of Lopit because I'm like, I'm going to be struggling just to learn Lopit, but they have five distinct dialects. So... I'm not going to try to pronounce them because I know I won't get them right, <laughs> but they're up there on the screen. And um, there's actually, um, there's only about 55 to 57 villages that all of the Lopit live in unless they have moved to the city and they're either going to school in the city or they've kind of amalgamated into city life. So most of the Lopit, they're only going to be found in the Torit district of South Sudan. So this is the South Sudan flag uh, and their culture. They do practice initiation ceremonies. There's a naming ceremony for a baby, and there's also one for a young adult. Um, marriage begins with courtship, and then the girl elopes with her boyfriend. When they return home, the dowry is settled, and she goes to her new home. So that's a little bit different. And the transfer of power to the younger age set happens every 25 years in a ceremony called Hifira. And so the village administration and authority over community affairs is handed down to the next generation, which is kind of a neat um, thing to, to make sure that they're passing that on. Their culture is transmitted through songs, poems, dramas, and music that express feelings and emotions as well. The grandmother imparts cultural knowledge through folktales and games, although even the stories, proverbs, myths, and words of wisdom which the adults give the children is dying out, especially in urban areas and due to the increase in formal education. As far as I'm aware of, I think the literacy rate amongst the Lopit is less than 20%. Um, so this is a traditional word, the fuera. I'm probably not pronouncing it right. But that means the village center, and this is the village I'm going to be living in, Olahang. And so if you look at the bundle of sticks that's lined up behind the kids, that actually represents the number of generations that have lived in that village, and the residents claim their village is over 400 years old. Um, so they are also cattle herders. So it's like, yes! Um, and... <laughs> Cows are my favorite animal. And often they carry guns to protect their herds from raiders and other threats. 
So that's the guy with the rifle. Um, so who am I? What, why would I go? What can, what skills or abilities do I have to offer? Like Carol shared, the Brazilian photographer was able to take pictures and show some of the villagers pictures of themselves and then be able to share with them, look who God made you to be. Um, so my gifting is, as you know, I love cattle and farming and animal husbandry, uh, my education, my work experience, my skills, and uh, my one year that I had already served in Tanzania with AIM teaching English at a national Bible college really gave me a passion for the poor and the overlooked. How could I help God? What can I do? So what am I planning to do? Uh, so my first year will be spent learning the language and the culture. Um, and just so you know, living in an African context is not like living here. You have to do everything from scratch. There's no fast food takeout. Uh, we'll have to clean the rice or beans. Well, I don't know. I don't think I'll have rice there. Most of the people, they eat like sorghum, maize, millet, um, I'm really hoping I develop a taste for sorghum because I don't have one at the moment. <laughs> but uh, so one of the ways I'm hoping to help, uh, I had to choose between the Lopeet and the Dadinga team. And I was having a really hard time because the Dadinga team is up in the mountains. And basically you can just sprinkle seeds and anything will grow. And it's really beautiful. And But it is remote. Um, but that part didn't bother me. But when the unit leader... Um, for South Sudan, when he shared with me that nobody is doing anything in agriculture amongst the low peat, like you'd have to start from scratch. And that really, I was like, yeah, <laughs> nobody's ever done this before. Let's do it and figure something out. So I'm hoping eventually maybe to do some water projects or maybe somehow do some irrigation. Um, but a lot of what I'll hopefully be trying to do is just coming alongside my friends once I can speak the language and understand the culture better and be able to help them when their animals are sick. There's a couple of vets, um, not on our team, but on a different team. And uh, my my goal is to help people <clears throat> provide for themselves. And I don't want to create a dependency um, on myself or like I'm willing to share my knowledge and and being friends and giving and taking, which is normal in relationship. But I really am trying hard. I want them to be proactive um, and not dependent on me. I want to work myself out of a job. So I'm going to have a bicycle. <laughs> the roads are horrible. Uh, I've seen many pictures of my team members stuck in the rainy season. They have to have, they call it uh, a we would call it a rhubarb, but I guess because of the Brits, they call it a bull bar um, on the front of a lot of the trucks. But um, one of the first questions I get asked, and it's a very fair question, isn't it dangerous to live in South Sudan? And my answer is, yes, it can be. <laughs> uh, but Jesus does not call us just to go to the safe, easy places um, to share the gospel. He asks us to go and make disciples of all nations. So because I'm a single woman, I did want to, to uh, be a part of a team and not be the Lone Ranger. Uh, so the single women, um, there's a house that we have in Olahan. And Marlene, whom I met my first trip to Africa, she's still on that team. She'll be coming back 
I think she might be there by the time I get there. Right now she's on sabbatical. Um, and there's a new member, Andrea, so she's just finishing up her first year of learning the language and the culture. And then you saw Carol and Robert in the video. They're from Kenya. And I think there's another new couple that's coming from the U.S. to join our team. So AIM does have an evacuation plan in place if we needed to be evacuated and if anything were to happen. Uh, they would be flying most likely from Nairobi and they would get to us within two to three hours of a phone call. Uh, and all of the teams in South Sudan, there's five teams plus the base people that are based in Torit. Um, everybody's within two to 10 kilometers of an airport. So um, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> and they've built, AIM has been there long enough that they've built really good relationships with the local, provincial, and federal governments. And we have a permit from the government to fly in the country. So they haven't had any mandatory evacuations in over three years. So right now you've been hearing about Sudan in the news, but Lord willing, that won't be going into South Sudan, but South Sudan is at peace at the moment. So this is just the little toy airplane that I will be flying in, <laughs> or one of them, I should say. Um, so this is my team leader, Robert. Um, you saw him earlier with his wife, Carol, in the video. And this is his local language helper. This is Thaddeus who would introduce him to the culture. So each one of us, when we go, will pray and ask the Lord to provide for us someone. And we pay them to t help us learn the language and to learn the culture. But usually that person becomes your best friend within the people group just because you spend so much time with them. So this is my friend Marlene. She's from New Zealand and uh, she's a teacher. She's a fabulous teacher. And uh, so she's been doing a lot of work trying to help teachers, like local teachers that there's a local college not far from that AIC runs. And so she's been trying to teach them how to teach and be better teachers. Um, so these are some of the vegetables that we will be eating. But the sad part is <sighs> I'm not Ukrainian and I don't like cooked cabbage. <laughs> And many times of the year during the dry season when we run out of fresh vegetables, because where I'm living, it's going to be around 40 most of the time Celsius, um, the vegetables won't keep. So we can fly fresh food in once a month, but the fresh food only usually lasts a week except for cabbage. So Marlene said she eats cabbage for three weeks straight. And I was like, Jesus, please don't send me there. I don't like cabbage. I'm not a Ukrainian. And that's where I'm going. So, um, so this is a stove of one of the LOP team members. So as you can see, like we don't have an oven. Um, cooking, everything is from scratch. Everything takes hours. Just like in my village in Belima, it would usually take three to four hours to fix a main meal. Um, it's going to be similar. So this is the single girl's house. Um, I think this is Ashley. She's not on the team anymore. She finished her commitment. Uh, but the brown stripes on the back wall, they had concrete cracks and they had to fill them in because there were scorpions that were living there and scorpions are poisonous and you don't want to get bitten. So anyway, because I was like, that's really cool. They have kind of like zebra stripes, but it's not a cool reason why they had to put them up. So... <laughs> So I kind of have two budgets. It's a bit confusing. So I have one budget, which is your outgoing budget. So that's like all the expenses to get over there 
and to get ready to leave. Uh, so like I have medical, my actual flights, baggage, and then my, my travel within the country. When I first go to Africa, AIM does a three month in or three weeks, sorry, intensive course called Africa based orientation. So I'll be with all the other new missionaries in that cycle. We're all together for three weeks. And so we're learning how do we get along with a team when we're all from like three or four different cultures? Um, how, how is it best to learn language? Uh, how to make your own electrolytes, how to purify water, like all the practical daily living stuff, plus the spiritual stuff and things. Cause they want aims goal in doing this training is they want you to be retainable. They want you to be able to come back or at least finish your term without leaving because it got too hard or you weren't prepared. They want to prepare us well. So, and then immigration and visas. Um, and then the, like the Africa-based orientation would be under the training and curriculum. And then I will have a certain amount of books and curriculum that I have to do as part of just being part of my team that we'll read together and talk about. And then my monthly budget. So this is a rough estimate of how much Canadian it's going to cost me to live there. <clears throat> and then the home assignment is just, they try to take some money off every month and then that pays for your flights home. So it's not like this huge bill at the end of your time. So this is low peat women grinding the sorghum to make wheat and to make beer. So a big issue with a lot of the unreached people groups in South Sudan is alcoholism is very rampant. It's a really difficult issue. Uh, the Dadinga people have had a missionary there for 50 years and they still don't have a convert because I guess people just, they make a plan, let's meet, let's go do whatever. And people get drunk and don't show up for three days. So it's hard. <laughs> um, so AIM classifies South Sudan as a hardship country because it is such a difficult place to serve and the attrition rate amongst missionaries is very high. I remember my friend Marlene telling me in 2014, she just said flat out, South Sudan eats missionaries for breakfast. So <laughs> I was like, okay, Lord, if I'm going full time for my first time, why would you send me to like the place that eats people for breakfast? <laughs> but um, there's very little infrastructure. Um, there's no road graders, none. There's no I've never seen a picture of a tractor where I'm going. Uh, there's no medical care. So if I get sick or if there's any issues, you have to go. Usually it's pretty much out of the country unless there's somebody who's a medical person um, within the country that could maybe come to you. <clears throat> and at times the roads are impassable either due to weather or due to bandits. If, if they think it's not safe for us because they're worried about us being robbed, then we won't. We'll only fly in and out. Um, so because it is a hardship country, I get 10 weeks off versus four weeks. If I was serving again in Tanzania, it would only be four weeks a year, but they make you leave, um, after nine to 12 weeks, because a lot of times people don't realize they're really getting ground down and they're really struggling. Um, so your team leader, or sometimes the unit leader, like, the unit leader told me there's this one guy who's basically been on the Lorene team for the last decade. And he's like, I can tell when, when he needs to come out, he's, he's getting really grumpy and he's difficult to live with. He's this guy's particular guy's a single guy. So he'll just be like, okay, you're leaving. 
you need to, you need to come out for a break. So that's how I met Marlene because she was on a break both times when I was going to uh, Tanzania and coming back. I met her in Nairobi. Um, and so like she said, I just love all the fresh fruit because I just pig out on that because we don't get it. Um, and so I will probably either usually always be going to Uganda or Kenya. Um, but I just want to be clear. So unless you, th- it's not like I'm going on vacation for 10 full weeks. You're doing life stuff while you're in Uganda and Kenya. You're doing your doctor's appointments. Um, you're doing your banking, doing your taxes. So it's not like, oh, I'm sitting by a pool for 10 weeks every year. It's not like that. Yes. And, and, and my plan is to, um, make sure that I take Sabbath both in the village, but then when you know that you need, like you're getting grumpy and you're difficult, then it's like, okay, Lord, I need to go away. (laughs) And the reason that it's so hard to get a break in the village, in African culture, community is everything. So if you're cooking and Harris has come by, Ford's come by, Lance has come by, you feed them. Whoever's at your house, you feed them. So I've had like some of my Tanzanian friends, she's like, yeah, I've made breakfast or I made supper three times and we had company every time. And now I'm just finally getting food for the kids at 10 o'clock at night. And it wasn't that she hadn't planned ahead. It was that people drop by and you can't be like, oh, I can't give you any food because this is for my kids. That's not how they do things. So, um, In order for you to get a break, you have to leave because people just drop by all the time. So there will be times that I will have to fight the introvert in me because I'll be like, not one more person, please. (laughs) Some of my friends in Tanzania, I remember she said the record today was 27 hodis. So 27 people that she hadn't planned dropped by her house before three o'clock. So it's really hard to get things done because when people come, you have to greet them and visit with them. You can't just be like, hey, I'm in the middle of this. Can I talk to you tomorrow? That's, you don't do that. So my plan to complete my three-year assignment, because it will be difficult, it is a hard place to serve. Uh, That's very real. Uh, I need prayer support because I will be experiencing intense spiritual warfare. Satan does not want these people to learn about Jesus. He does not want the body of Christ to be represented by the low peat. Uh, and also a priority I'm going to have to guard is to make sure that I guard my daily quiet time with the Lord, with all my daily chores and the things I have to do every day. And then when people drop by, I need to make sure that's a priority so that it happens. I also need to pay attention to when I've been in a really busy or a hard season and make sure I recharge um, if necessary. Also with exercise, although I'm not that worried about it now that I realize I'm going to be walking or biking everywhere. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not really that big of a deal, I don't think. Um, but it is going to be hard for me, especially in the beginning before I know the language really well. It's really hard to go out when you can tell that they're talking about you and making fun of you because you can't understand them. Um, that's hard. <laughs> Um, And you hate, I hate personally feeling stupid because they're looking at you like my two-year-old speaks better than you do. Why are you not figuring out how to speak this language? And it's like, really? I am intelligent. (laughs) I just can't speak your language yet. 
Um, also being honest with myself when I'm stressed and making myself go to bed so that I get enough sleep. And AIM also has trained and qualified um, Christian counselors. I did use them and found um, them to be very helpful last time. And, and especially like when I was preparing to come home, being able to talk to somebody about the anger that you feel about the corruption or just why, why did God let me be born in Canada and have all these amazing opportunities. And um, so just there's, I can meet with them in person if I'm out or I can also talk to them on the phone or Skype. And then I also need to remember to have fun and be silly and enjoy my friends and neighbors. And that will happen with kids because everything is fun with kids usually. <laughs> so this is just a beautiful picture of the Lopete Hills. And, the, and then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. So thank you for uh, considering supporting my work with the Low Pete with prayer and finances. And if you have any questions, please talk to me. Um, that's my contact stuff up there. I apologize. My prayer cards aren't ready yet, um, but I will get them to mom via or to Chris. But basically, um, this church has just been such an amazing part of my faith journey. And you guys mean a lot to me. And so I was really excited for today to be my first presentation. Plus, I was like, if I make a mistake or mess up, <laughs> Clyde's very forgiving. Um, but this is my church home. And uh, even this, this whole weekend has just been a real joy because yesterday I got to hang out with one of my former youth group kids, uh, Grant Roska and his wife Janet and their kids. And then uh, where we were eating lunch, Lisa and Yella came in with baby Blair and so it's just so amazing to see how fruit that our church has kids you guys have invested in. And well, they're not kids now. They're young adults and they're raising their own families. But just to see how they're raising their kids to follow Jesus. And we got to be a part of their story. And that excites me to think I get to take part of Clyde with me when I go. And you guys get to be a part of this kid and other kids' stories in South Sudan that hopefully, Lord willing, they will know Jesus and then they get to be part of the community around the throne of, of the Lord. Yes, do you have any questions? Was I not clear on anything? Yeah, I think I want to set up a schedule of trying to connect with everybody in my family. Like, So one week I might call one brother and then the next week I'll call another brother. And then the next week I might call my mom or whatever. Because some of them don't want to hear from me every week. <laughs> I'm just being honest. <laughs> Bob? Sure. Yep. Okay. I actually don't know Bob. <laughs> I'll have to look into that. So if you see Juba is the capital of South Sudan. And then Torit, that's the main base that we're all based out of. And you'll notice how close it is to the border of Uganda and Kenya. So even in the past when there's been war, it's usually up by the, the border with the north border with Sudan. So the original fighting between South Sudan and Sudan was northern Sudan is Muslim. And South Sudan has been either animistic or the Dinka people have traditionally been Christians. The Dinka people are the 
part of the ones besides the Ethiopians that kind of have been Christians for a very long time. Uh, I think there's also been a lot of syncretism that has come into the Dinka people with the local beliefs and whatever. Um, but the two main religions of South Sudan are animistic, like the tribal religions, witchcraft, whatever, as well as Christianity. But so in the north, the north is in the 2000s, those were the people we were hearing about that were coming on raids into these farming villages, killing the men, taking the women and children captive, and taking them back. Because most of the oil is in South Sudan. So the Muslims want the oil because that's where the money is. And then because they were in power and they looked down on these people because they're beneath us and they don't speak our language and whatever, they have they didn't invest at all in the South. So they haven't invested in education, in universities, in roads. So that's why if you were to go to parts of Sudan, it's really quite developed. But this part has been completely ignored because the Muslims didn't care what they did to the locals. They just want the oil and the money. And the, and the people obviously fought back because they're like, hey, this is our home. This is our land. So um, that's part of their history. Like, I didn't actually realize that South Sudan was actually a colony of Egypt. It was kind of interesting. Um, yeah, so they, they weren't actually taken over by the British or the Belgians or the Germans. They were actually kind of, I guess, in a way you could say they were taken over by Britain because Britain um, had colonized, well, not colonized, but took over Egypt. But, yeah, any other questions? So they would like for me to come in October this year. I don't think that's going to work. I'm aiming for this January. And the reason, so AIM has three Africa-based orientations per year. So they're July, October, and January. So I'm hoping, Lord willing, it's a little more than six months to be in South Sudan in six months. So what happens is if I don't have all my funding raised a month before my due date to leave, which will probably be like December 31st or January 1st, um, then I'll just be here longer. And then the next, like, then it would be, I want to be ready for July 2020 to be, to be there. So, so my plan is to continue working right up until I leave. Well, I shouldn't say right up until I leave. They recommend quitting your job and selling your last things and moving in with family for your last month. Um, just because you have a lot of things to do. I don't have a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, there are some things I will want to keep, so I will be putting some of those in storage. Um, but yeah, I just, um, I'm already starting to feel the time crunch between my dairy job and trying to do this and meet with people. So I'm just um, hoping maybe to talk to my boss and see if I can lower some of my hours, but that might not happen. So I'm not sure, but... Um, I'm hoping all the ones that did last time, plus I'm hoping to get some new ones. So, but my main, um, uh, so I learned a lot from Lowen's, um, James and Corinne that, um, they've been really helpful cause they just encouraged me. Don't think of it as the people that are supporting you are your bosses. 
you need to think of it as they're your partners and you're partnering together. Um, because I'll be honest, um, this would not be my first pick of where I would go. (laughs) If I had my first pick, I'd go somewhere where there's four seasons and I have snow. Um, and the whole idea of working with most of the adults are drunk all the time. That isn't something I would pick, but God has used different people in my life to encourage me to take this step forward. A lot of people from this church have said to me at various times, you should go back. You should go. You have a heart. Um, Because I kept thinking, who am I? Like, I'm not perfect. I still struggle with this. I struggle with that. And so part of raising support, I also want to be is if churches want or people want their missionary to never struggle or have difficult times, then they probably don't want to support me because I'm not going to dump everything on everybody. But if I'm going through a difficult time, I want to be able to share that. And I also want people to share with me when they're struggling or they're having stuff going on with their families or like, you know, we heard the story about Darlena. Well, maybe I can't help from South Sudan, but I can be faithful to pray for her. I can write to her. I can email her. Um, Like we need each other as the body. And if we get so focused on ourselves and our own stuff, which we can, um, then we miss opportunities to be a blessing and to encourage others. So thank you. If this was your trial run, you nailed it. Um, Andrew, would you come up and we'll pray for Christy? Uh, I, speaking on behalf of all of us, and of course there's others who aren't here this morning who would say the same, we are so proud of you, and we're so excited for you. Um, just as this church is a big part of shaping who you are, you're a big part of shaping who I am, and it's uh, this person that we're celebrating today with this heart for these people that uh, that was such an influence on me, and it's our honor and privilege to support you as well. Uh, you can absolutely count on us uh, for prayer, for money, for whatever. Um, so uh, I'll pray and then Angel pass it to you and you can close in prayer. God, thank you so much for Christy and uh, for this plan that you have for her. And we know that she is seeking only your will and she's seeking only to serve. And we know there's a lot of barriers to that, a lot of frustrations and complications and fears. And Father, we know and we pray that you'll strip those away um, so that she can be a light for these people. We know how much you love these people, and uh, it's beautiful to see how much Christy loves them as well. And so uh, this list of things that she's got up there to pray for, pray for time, for devotions, pray for uh, health, pray for all these things, we pray for those things. Uh, but more than anything, we pray that your will would be done with the low peat people, and we're so honored to partner with Christy to see your will be done. Uh, Thank you, Father. We praise you uh, in your son's name. Father, um, we just thank you for Christy's heart and um, how she loves you so much and how she loves your people, um, wherever they are and whoever they may be. Um, Father, her heart is huge, and um, we're just so thankful that we can um, hear her heart and um, partner along with her. 
God, you are bigger than all of this. <laughs> and um, as Chris said, bigger than our fears, bigger than, you know, the unknown. And um, Father, I just pray that um, that you would uh, continue to give Christy uh, patience when needed and um, that the encouragement would come um, and just um, being physically well as well. Um, that she would know that um, she is supported, that prayers are being um, given. And um, Father, we just pray for strength for her. And we thank you for today that we can hear a bit about it. And uh, God, you are good, and we trust you, um, whatever may come. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Yes! Cows are my favorite animal. But in God's eyes, they are important, and they are worthy. And he longs for those sons and daughters of his to be called and to be brought back to him. So in the words of Carol, let's go together. (laughs) Let's do it.